Rick Jensen. On 1150 AM, 101.7 FM, WDEL. Dr. Sandra Gibney. She's been on this program quite a bit throughout the pandemic and now as well. Board certified physician. Not all physicians are. ER doctor for over 25 years. Has been what I like to call a serial uh, coronavirus tester and COVID vaccine uh, administrator as well. You know, Uh, she's a serial vaccinator. But she and she's always been very, very straightforward about uh, the vaccines, uh, government guidelines, things like that. And I always love to have Dr. Gibney on the phone because so she's a straight shooter. And Sandy, th- thanks for being on. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I'm Thank doing okay. So the booster okay. is get whatever you can go, can get. Uh, uh, any boosters better than none. But if you get the J and J, you should get the Moderna or the Pfizer. And uh, when it comes to Moderna or Pfizer, you say you recommend getting the same make and model that you got before. Yeah, I mean, only because and originally they were doing this to make sure that people, you know, if they had a vaccine reaction, that they could tag it to which vaccine you got. So, you know, so there was that question. But now that people have already, you know, pretty much been exposed and we know the, they're allowing you to get either vaccine. But for initially, epidemiologically, we were looking to see if there was going to be some sort of reaction. And so they didn't want to cross, you know, those paths doing one person doing Pfizer, one person uh, doing Moderna. And I mean, the same thing can happen when you're getting two shots at the same time. Like, let's say, like we talked about getting a flu shot and um, getting a booster shot or even the second shot. And you get both on the same day. My only concern with that, as I expressed, one about, you know, your immune system really getting whacked. And, and uh, secondly, if you do have a reaction, it's very difficult to determine whether or not the reaction was due to your flu shot or it was due to your booster shot for, for the COVID. So in that regard, I know CDC and others are really, really pushing for people to get dual vaccinated, and I am too. So, you know, get both if that's all you can do. If you can get to the doctor or the pharmacy and they're going to give you both, go ahead and do it if you don't think you're going to get back to separate them. Yeah. Um, Otherwise, you should do it like a a week apart so you know if you're having a reaction, which one you're having a reaction to, and also you don't overwhelm your body's defense system. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Let's uh, Speaking of uh, self-defense and the body, antibodies. So I remember uh, last year, well, actually earlier this year, really, um, the studies were coming out showing that if you got COVID, you had antibodies, that you had equal or better protection than somebody who even got both of the vaccine shots, as long as it was Moderna or Pfizer. Now, more studies are coming out, and uh, and, and I'm finding it quite surprising that you've got uh, more studies saying, okay, we're looking at more people, and we're learning that now with the Delta variant, your antibodies are not as effective at uh, at keeping you from getting COVID again than getting the vaccine. Is that right? Yeah. So the CDC uh, published and came out saying that the vaccine leads to a more consistent and higher, tighter uh, on, the, on the initial antibody response than if you got COVID um, from exposure, you know. And so the, both infection, like you're talking about, and vaccination – will protect against COVID for six months. But what you're describing is what CDC discovered is that there's a higher antibody titer and response to the vaccine versus getting sick. And of course, you know, nobody wants to get sick. Um, and, and, you know, as we look at it, you know, we, we've had 
so many, you know, 750,000 U.S. COVID deaths, uh, 5 million globally. Um, we have now 190 million people that are fully vaccinated. However, we still have folks that are, that are holding out um, and, and the kids. And so that's what we're trying to focus on now. So this host, ha- the virus has no body to live in. And once we, he runs out of hosts or it runs out of hosts, um, it'll perish, just like other viruses. We've been able to get them kind of inoculated. Well, well Sandy, though, won't it eventually find hosts? I mean, we see it in, in cats, for example. Uh, the big cats in the zoos got COVID. And, mm-hmm. and you know, that's what a virus will do. It, it's not a sentient being, but, uh, but it does find a place to live. And so even if we're all vaccinated, you know, for months and months or a year to go, whatever it is, it'll still find a host. It'll still be living in some animal, won't it? You'll have very low levels probably, and it may pop up from time to time in third world or unvaccinated areas. We've seen it with polio. We've seen it with measles. We've had little outbreaks of pertussis, which is whooping cough. And you'll see little outbreaks like that. Um, but usually with the vaccine, if most people are vaccinated, um, the little outbreaks just kind of bubble out and, and simmer down and you don't have that widespread to it. But we do see those viruses that pop up. Um, they're, you know, it's, they're not really going anywhere very rarely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we still see polio in third world countries, you know, and Ebola is still out there. Um, others as well. But this kind of pandemic spread um, the only way and we've discussed this to, to control this is vaccination to, to find that it has no host to live in. And, and a mask does give you some level of protection, but not enough protection where we're at right now. Yeah, I was quite surprised. Uh, a recent study, 200 Kentucky residents who had tested positive in 2020, then tested positive again during May and June of this year. And uh, the CDC researchers found out that people who were previously infected, but unvaccinated because they said, hey, I've got the antibodies. I don't have to get vaccinated. They were 2.3 times more likely, 2.3, over two times more likely to get reinfected, be sick again, than people who were previously infected and then also fully vaccinated. I know it's disappointing to a lot of people that you get vaccinated and it's not good for life, but even with tetanus, you have to get a booster every 10 years and you get the flu vaccine every year. So... I, I think that plays into a lot of people who are, are disappointed thinking, oh, now I have to get a booster and I have to get vaccine and we'll probably have to get vaccinated every year. Is that yeah, what? But, yeah, but, you know, as I said, vaccinated people, should they get COVID? And, and if they do, it's very mild. But vaccinated people clear that virus so much more quickly than unvaccinated people. A study had shown that if you were vaccinated and got COVID, um, your virus was gone, could not be found in your nares five days afterwards versus if you're unvaccinated and you get COVID, it's still persisting over a week later, 7.5 days versus 5.5 days. So the vaccinated people, even though they got, they got COVID and we're finding that they get, if they do get it, it's quite mild and it's not anything, you know, that puts them in the hospital, certainly not fatal. Um, But if they do, uh, you know, get sick, it's very short, and they don't carry the virus for long. That sounds so like a that sounds value. a lot like a study I had seen, which is similar, but uh, I read different portions of a study that uh, focused on transmissibility. And this report yeah. was, okay, so if you're fully vaccinated, you are transmissible for about three to, to four days. 
And if you're unvaccinated, you can give it to somebody else between seven days and a week, or two weeks, rather. Seven and ten days is what I saw. Right. So we're talking about clearing the virus. And when you clear the virus, then you don't shed it. So the, the, the two studies kind of pretty much, you know, corroborate each other saying, listen, if you get vaccinated, you're not going to get very sick. You're not going to be very infectious and you're going to get better faster. So, you know, that's that's an argument that we need to look at when people say, well, you know, if you get vaccinated, you might still get COVID. Well, you might, but it's very slim. The chances are very small. And if you do, it's very mild. It's what we want you to get when you get a seasonal cold. Oh, I've got a cold. You know, we can mm-hmm. handle that. We can't handle people dying and, and laying in the hospital. So uh, I think vaccine, the vaccine, you know, and there's been so much about it. And so many people think it's been politicized. And, and so many people that are too many, you know, too many, uh, what do you call it, hands in the, in the soup. Right. Um, but, but I think we're really starting to drill down now and filter out what we need to know and the medical knowledge of this. And that's what I want to stick with is what medically and what scientifically is important for folks to know. And, and, and not the hooey sometimes that gets broadcast because it's exciting and it's dramatic to, to watch on TV. Yeah, I get um, that. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about uh, the vaccinating kids. So we know throughout the pandemic and even now that very, very few kids uh, get COVID, even fewer get very sick from it. And it's and the number of uh, children who go to the hospital is, is minuscule. There are kids who have gotten to the hospital. There are some children who have died. The numbers are so small. Uh, I mean, we far far less than, you know, like one-tenth of one percent. And uh, still, uh, we're being advised to vaccinate the kids. And I want to hear how you feel about that. Yeah, so we know there's 28 million kids that are eligible now to get the vaccine. And we do know that there was, there's was there been 8,300 kids that have been hospitalized with COVID. And of those, 2,300 got that nasty, what we call MIS-C, the inflammatory, uh, you know, response, the, the cytokine storm, if you will. Mm-hmm. So they got very sick. And, and there have been 745 child COVID deaths. Um, and 94 of those deaths were in this very, very eligible group of 5 to 11 years old. So we know that the vaccine shows that it's 91% protective. And we know that, that 3,000 people in this study that uh, the FDA, CDC looked at, they had 3,109 uh, 3, were vaccinated, and then they had another group of 1,500 that, that got a placebo. Um, and, and, you know, it was shown that when, you know, it rolled out that 91% protective, meaning that of those that um, got COVID in that group, um, only nine of 100 um, were the vaccinated group as opposed to everybody else that got sick was the unvaccinated group. So things looked really good. Um, and the concern of the side effect of myocarditis, um, you know, or anaphylaxis or even death from the vaccine was found to be zero. They did not have any kids um, in that. So the side effects were mild, looking at fatigue, headache, muscle pain. Um, but these all resolve in one to two days. So the kids look really good in that new 5 to 11 group, which has emergency use authorization. Um, It's Pfizer only. It's a two-dose regime, three weeks apart. They're going to be getting only a third of the adult dose, so 10-microgram dose. So normally we would have, if we would have given them, if you look at a needle, 
we would give them a half of a cc, half of well, a Well, let me ask you about that because, if, Sandy, let me ask you a question about that because, you know, if you go to a compounding pharmacy, they will uh, they, they will actually manufacture whatever it is, whatever the medication is based upon someone's weight um, and, and their height and, and such like that. This isn't being done. This is uh, just overall we'll give them a third and I guess that's what the, the researchers have found will be effective without overloading the kids with uh, the vaccine? Yeah, so most children, uh, you're absolutely right, we use a weight-based formula to give them medications to provide you know, chemotherapy or other things because we want to do it in the sense that we minimize side effects but max- maximize efficacy. So, yeah, so they did um, kind of twiddle or... Uh, have some subjects get higher doses and others get smaller doses initially to try to, you know, kind of hone down as what's the safest to get where you still get an effective response, but you don't have a host of side effects. Um, And so the kids one third dose is not that far off when you look at it per body weight. And I think it's a reasonable dose. And the important part was that, um, you know, when they did give that dose, that there was no side effects of any significance and, they had protection. So, All right. So let me let me let me ask you this. Let me ask you this because you know there'll be people listening who say, "Look, uh, you got 28 million kids who are eligible for this. You have 745 kids who have died from COVID out of uh, actually more than 28 million because some of those uh, kids are are not age eligible for the vaccine." But let's use that number anyway, and that means that's like 2.6 hundredths. Um, actually, let's see: one, two, three, four. Uh, five decimal points, so, uh, 2.6, I guess, hundredths or thousands of a 2.6 thousands of a percent uh, of, of kids who got COVID died. People look at that number and say, well, geez, 745 out of 28 million. Why should I uh, subject my kid to this vaccine when it looks like it's highly unlikely a child is going to get sick and much less likely they're going to go to hospital and die? Okay. Um, so then I would say to those, because there are some people that say, oh, you know, this is an uncertain benefit that 40 percent of the children have already had COVID and they have antibodies that, um, you know, protect them, we think or they think. Um, but but the but the issue here is these little guys are the last host laying around for this virus to invade and they're going to spread it. They're going to spread it again. Um, so, you know, maybe they don't get very sick, but let's roll it back and talk about how we were worried about the asymptomatic carriers in the adults and how risky it was for them mm-hmm. because they didn't know they were that sick. So these kiddos, you know, um, they bring stuff home. Um, they bring stuff home to grandma. And uh, if there's still a lot of resistance in the adult population to get vaccinated, the kids um, but it may well infect them. And um, whether or not... Kids are very resilient, and um, and typically viruses, um, you know, they, they clear with them. Um, but, but the point here being, um, do you want your child to be one of those 745 deaths? Um, and now you have an eligible vaccine. There's going to be some holdouts, Rick. I know that. There's going to be some people that are, va- you know, they're afraid or they're, they want to wait or they have had reactions, you know, themselves, and they don't want their kids to undergo it. And I understand that. Um, but by and large, um, the kids are one of the very few you know hosts left for this virus, and the vaccine was safe. And the kid, no one really got ill from the vaccine. So why wouldn't you? 
Okay. Um, no, I, I think you've, no, you've made the case very well. I have one last question. This comes from listener Mike. Uh, concerned that the FDA approved the vaccine so quickly, more quickly than, than in history, and uh, he feels like that's a bit dicey. What do you say about that? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I, w- I would say to Mike that um, you have great scientists and learned people that are on these um, boards that sit to evaluate that. And I know ethically, um, I would not approve something if I didn't think it, it was safe and the data and science didn't support it. And these other individuals, we have to trust and believe that these boards that have been formed for literally decades, um, that they're using the appropriate judgment. And I think they are. The difference is all this information was brought to them very quickly because there was not, not, there was not the time um, for them to sit and digest it for six months, which typically is how we would do this. They were given it with a time limit, you know, to say you have to give it and give us an opinion a week after you get it. So so I think some of that push and the pressure was was not from the side of the scientists, but the side of make a decision. Um, and so some of those, um, you know, we don't have probably that time of six months for them to digest all the scientific information. But I will tell you this. There are times such as when Derna where the CDC, FDA went, said, hey, no, you got to go back. We need more data before we can approve you for kids. Um, so, yeah, Moderna went to CDC and FDA with information and scientific data to try to get approved for the kids so they could start vaccinating in that group. The CDC says, no, you're not ready. We want to get more data. Give us more kids. We want to see more data for you, for you before we approve. So I would say to Mike that that kind of process is going on but you don't hear those things as much. You hear the sensational stuff. Exactly. Moderna, Which yep, is why I love uh, having you on the show, because uh, you're a straight shooter. And uh, and we got to wrap, and uh, we got to get going. We have news coming up in a little bit, too. So There's a lot. I know. Uh, I know. You know. Well, how about next week? We, you know, we can talk even more next week, and we podcast this on the Rick Jensen page at WDEL.com, and people can listen to this. And then uh, we'll chat again next week and do the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah, every week we got something. You know that. I love that. I'd love to come on. Thank Thank you, you. Rick. Dr. Sandra Gibney.